Does anybody actually think of Thanksgiving without thinking of food? I think we all do. Thanksgiving is a time, though, that gives us the opportunity to just disregard all rules of moderation. Now, some of us disregard all rules of moderation every day, not just Thanksgiving Day. One of my favorite comedians is Jim Gaffigan. He says, I can't stop eating. I haven't been hungry in 12 years. You know the medication that says don't eat on an empty stomach? That doesn't apply to me. Some of us are very much like that. We very seldom have an empty stomach. And it's not a coincidence that one of the main dishes during Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving Day is called stuffing because that's exactly what most of us do on that day. Now, we all know the value of food. It's fact. We cannot live without it. We've heard the phrase, uh, food is fuel, mostly from people that are trying to help us and motivate us to lose weight. I, about 10 years or so ago, I had a trainer for two years. She just walked around with me and slapped the potato chips out of my hand. But she would always tell me that food is fuel. Food is fuel. And it is. But... Food is so much more than just fuel. Snoopy sitting on his, uh, gosh, I can hardly even see that, on his doghouse. He says, my life has no meaning. Everything seems so empty. Even my bunny books seem meaningless. I search the skies and I, can't, I can find no meaning, no meaning. And then Charlie Brown brings his, his lunch and Snoopy finds the meaning in his food. Let's not dismiss that. There is meaning in food. It is so much more than just fuel for the body. Food is our culture. It is tradition. Food is a celebration. Food is a connection. Think of all the significant events in your life that were surrounded by food. There is the proposal of marriage over a dinner. Denise and I, uh, I proposed to her on the banks of Lake Tyler in Texas with a bucket of Popeye's chicken. <laughs> Those were the days, weren't they, Denise? Yeah. But an engagement being uh, started over dinner. There is always the feeding each other the wedding cake. There is the food at a funeral. You die. People cry, and then everybody goes out to eat. It's just a part of the, uh, of the memory. There are happy occasions around the family table, and there are, ar there are argumentative occasions around the family, so everybody get ready for Thanksgiving with our family with that. So think about your dining room, and think about all the dramas that have played out around your dining room table or your kitchen table. And think about the connections that food gives you to those special people in your life, especially and possibly those people who have passed on. As I mentioned in the introduction to the Crowded Table song, Denise and I were in the western part of the United States. Our main reason for going was to interview two candidates for our associate pastor position. But we were in California. That's where one of them lived. The other lived in Oregon. And so we took a little bit of time off for ourselves and spent some time in California and then 
up to Washington State to see uh, our younger son, Devin, and his wife, Kylie, uh, outside of Seattle. And uh, one of the restaurants we, Denise and I, ate at in California, in Napa Valley, it served, saw on their menu, a butternut or butterscotch and chocolate pie, and it had my favorite initials beside it, GF gluten-free. So with celiac, that was mine. Now, every time I think about uh, butterscotch, I think of dad. I cannot remember a time in my life that dad did not have on his desk at the office at church a bowl of those uh, butterscotch scotch hard candies. So when I saw the butterscotch and chocolate, my mind immediately went to dad, and so I had to order that. And it was so delicious. Denise ordered a subpar dessert. And uh, she had mine and tasted mine and loved it so much. We came back to that restaurant later on in the week. And when we came back, she, she ordered her own. <laughs> and I was so happy she had her own. So I could have all of mine. And food connects us with one another. I posted this picture of Denise on my Facebook page and ask for your comments and your connections that you make with food with uh, loved ones in your life and one person who makes a connection to uh, with food and loved ones is a cook and he calls himself a cook who writes Nigel Slater he writes about as a boy he once said to his mother mom your kisses are like marshmallows just so soft, so sweet. When Nigel was nine, his mother, however, died. And then all throughout his remaining childhood, even to his teenage years, his dad would put beside Nigel's bed on the bedside table a couple of marshmallows. Food connects us to people. Food matters. Meals matter. There's this word that we use often, companion. It's a Latin word made up of two smaller words, come together. And panis, maybe that's where they got the word panera bread. Uh, panis means bread. And so there is the whole idea of being someone's companion. What makes you all companions is that you're brought together in a real sense by the food. There is a unifying function and a power that food has to bring us together. Maybe that's why Jesus spent so much time, oh, I love Oscar Wilde, after a good dinner, one could forgive anybody, even one's own relatives. Well, I hope that's the case on, uh, on Thursday. Well, maybe that's why Jesus was so into eating, because Jesus came to unite people. He came to unite people to God people who felt like they had been separated from God, probably because their religious leaders told them they were separated from God, and to unite them with their own identity, with their own true self, and then to unite them with one another. And I think Jesus used meals and food to make companions out of people. So a little Bible quiz here. How would you complete this sentence? The Son of Man came. 
maybe it would help us clarify if we would put it in this phrase, we should go. Oh, we should go uh, protest against injustice. Well, yeah, we should. Or we should go promote some change, even political change. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But how the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially Luke, finishes that as this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then this last one, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. The first two scripture passages talk to us about purpose. The third one talks to us about method. How did Jesus come? Not protesting, although he did protest in the temple. But his main method was just eating and drinking with people. He came eating and drinking. This phrase, the Son of Man, comes from the Hebrew scripture of the book of Daniel. Maybe you've heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And that story is the early part of the book of Daniel. And uh, later on in the book of Daniel, he uh, refers to the Son of Man. And that is, as I understand it, and I don't have a full understanding of it, it is a title that refers to someone who has authority over all of the nations. And so here is Luke taking that title, the Son of Man, describing someone who has ultimate authority over all the nations. And this Son of Man comes, this man with authority comes not with guns blazing. He doesn't come with an army of angels. He comes eating and drinking. He doesn't come exercising his power and his authority in a dominant way. He comes inviting us to join him at a table. And when the people of Jesus' day who lived in the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, when they would hear this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures, son of man, boy, they weren't thinking about someone who's going to come and have dinner with us. They were thinking about someone who's going to come and break the, back, break the backs of the Roman oppressors. And so they weren't prepared in their hearts. Their expectations were not that the Son of Man would come and want to go have a drink. And it was very difficult for them to embrace that. And Jesus did come eating and drinking, and he wasn't modest about it at all. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was, I guess, a whole lot like Jim Gaffigan. He was a serious eater, and he was a serious drinker, so much so that his enemies accused him of eating and drinking too much. Luke goes on and says, they said to him, the Pharisees did, the religious leaders, well, John's disciples often, John the Baptist, John's, the Baptist disciples often fast and pray, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees. <laughs> but your followers, 
They just go on and on and on, eating and drinking. That's all they do, just eat and drink, eat and drink, eat and drink. And see, that's a pretty good reason to follow Jesus right there, don't you think? <laughs> wow. So all these other religious leaders have disciples that they're known for their fasting and they're known for their praying, but Jesus, your disciples are kind of partiers. They're just eating and drinking all the time. And Jesus was totally cool with that. He says, I know. Because the kingdom of God is like a feast. The kingdom of God is like a feast with a table that is big enough for everybody. In Luke's gospel, more than any other gospel, it seems like Jesus is either uh, coming from a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. It's filled with Jesus eating and drinking. So what does this obsession with food that Jesus seems to have have to do with us today? Does it give us permission to stuff ourselves on Thursday or every day? Probably not. And it can mean so many more things than what I'm able to understand. And you may have your own understanding of it that may be much clearer and helpful than mine. But a couple of things that it says to me is this. Maybe the excess of food is a metaphor for Jesus' excess of grace. He multiplied the loaves and the fish, and he had 12 baskets left over after feeding over 5,000 people. It's an excess of food. Maybe all of that is just to show that he also has for everyone an excess of grace. It also says to me this. You know, food is real. Food is not an idea. It's not just a picture. Food is not a theory. Food is tangible. It's something that we, we cut or we just pick up and we put it into our mouth and taste it. We chew it. We swallow. It's not an idea. We're tasting it's the real cookies the real pumpkin pie it's real food is real it's it's tangible and maybe Jesus liked food and he liked drink so much that he wanted people to realize that spirituality is not just a theory spirituality is not a theology that you learn or that you discuss or that you debate and disagree over but spirituality is something that you taste, you chew, you swallow, you experience. It is something that you live. So many of us have grown up in a church world in which spirituality or faith is, is theories that you learn and theologies that you learn. But Jesus didn't come to teach a theology. He didn't even come to give moral maxims. You know, he did. I can't, I guess, give a couple of moral maxims. He, he says to treat others like you want to be treated and to love God and to love others just in the very same way that you love yourself. I guess those are moral maxims. But his primary way of living and purpose of living is to teach us that there's another way to live. And the metaphor for that other way to live is an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, symbolized by this abundance of food. 
The book of James is all about living real. Faith by itself, if it has no works, it's dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works. That word translated works is energo. Uh, we get our word energy from it. So faith without energy, faith without doing something. Faith, get off your butt and go do something. Go live your life. Go experience life and go serve and go help and go love and be tangible with that. Boy, if you're not doing that, then it's just a theory and it's just a theology and it's dead. Absolutely dead. He goes on in chapter 3. Who is wise and knowledgeable among you? Well, it's a person that knows all the books of the Bible and can quote a Bible verse whenever they're asked to about any situation. And they, they know they've got all their theologies checkmarked. They know exactly what they believe and why they believe it. Maybe not. The persons who's wise and knowledgeable among you will show that by their good life. Oh, how you live your life. That your works are done with gentleness. It's born out of wisdom. So what does that mean if we're not working and not expressing ourselves in gentleness? Maybe we're not that wise. I learned so much from uh, James on how to really measure spirituality and maturity. It's not by what I know up here, but it's how I live my life. Somebody asked me a question on email a couple of weeks ago, how I want to be remembered when I die. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to be remembered like that. I told the person I'd like to be remembered that as one who loved everybody, but I'd love to be remembered by someone that lived a good life and was very gentle with people. I love that as a thing to carry on. So we have an opportunity to live it, to live out our spirituality, our faith, to do something tangible with it. And the venues, one of the reasons we established ourselves is not just to be a church for all, but to partner and to do good things in our community like James is telling us to do with gentleness and kindness and compassion and mercy. And one of the things that we're doing this season, and we do it every season, we have done, done it almost for the entire 10 years, maybe eight years. We didn't start this immediately. But every holiday season, we have this event called Lights of Love where we uh, support people in our community by giving them things that they need, especially at Christmas time. So we support children and families and unsheltered friends with Christmas gifts. And we are partnering, which is our heart as well, with eight different agencies this year and who have given us 150 people that we are committed to living out our faith before and expressing spirituality in a very, <clears throat> excuse me, tangible way by providing them gifts and whatever they would need for the holidays. Now, you can see 
here where we have lists of things that these individuals need and the lists that they have created through these particular agencies. And uh, you can be involved in bringing a little cheer and bringing a little bit of love and a little bit of hope to these individuals by participating in this Lights of Love. You can check out our link on our website or that QR code that is in front of you and you can go shopping for those individuals or if you don't want to shop, uh, just let us know and give us some money and we'll go shopping for you. Uh, I won't go shopping for you, but there's somebody in this church that will go shopping for you. That is for sure. What I want us to know, I wanted to underscore is this. Jesus did not come bringing a system of theology. He didn't come teaching a lot of theories. He came eating and drinking. He came for the purpose of uniting us with God, with ourselves, and with other. And he used in his teaching the object of a, of a table so many times. And I just want you all to always know and to let other people in this community know that we want a crowded table at the venues that is filled with diversity. That's our heartbeat and that's our value. So Jesus didn't just go around talking about eating and talking about drinking. He actually drank and he actually ate. So let's just not talk about living the Christian life or living a spiritual life or not just talk about living a good and gentle and helpful life. Let's make sure that we're actually living that life. Don't be all talk and no action. And that's what our lesson is for the day.